Uh, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Uh, I'm not going to have you run that back because we got to get into what we got to get into. But um, writer and advocate Nancy Mayers once wrote, and I really want you to listen to these initial words. Who one believes God to be is most accurately revealed not in any credo, but in the way one speaks to God when no one else is listening. I think that's a very powerful statement that asks us to confront our idea of God, the very God we believe is on the other side of our prayers, the one that we believe is on the other side of our midnight cries, the one that we believe is is either a loving father or a scolding guardian, the one we believe is either a merciful advocate or an angry judge. For some of us, though, that isn't even our struggle. A misidentification or a misunderstanding of God isn't even our struggle. Rather, our struggle might be better captured in a statement like this, that if there is no God on the other side of our prayers, then our prayers mean absolutely nothing. Our prayers mean absolutely nothing. Again, the midnight cries for help, nothing. The pleas with God uh, to help us get better in some area, nothing. The moments we beg God to intervene in some way on behalf of someone else, all of it means absolutely nothing. It's nothing more than shouting into an endless uh, sea of darkness with which we will become one one day. But, friend, the thing about prayer is that if there is a God, some God, some God, whether an angry judge or a merciful advocate, whether a scolding guardian or a loving father, It's all nothing if there isn't something there. But again, if there is, and if he is the loving, caring, patient, merciful advocate that Scripture paints for us, then prayer is the act of talking. No, no, no better. It is the act of bearing our hearts to that God. And that perhaps may be the most powerful and the craziest type of description I could possibly give you for what prayer is to talk to an infinitely loving, just a God that's out there in some way, right? That me, and I want you to really think about this, put you in this reality, that you and me, simple, often broken, imperfect, doubting humans would speak to an infinitely complex, completely whole, perfect, assured God. And the beautiful part about it is that if scripture is true, then he turns his ear to us and listens intently. He listens perfectly. My first experience with this type of prayer came when I was 20 years old, uh, 13 going on 14 years ago now. After a couple years of pursuing a fledgling teenage career in music uh, and using drugs really to facilitate what I perceived to be creativity in music, I entered a church on a random afternoon in the middle of the week with no one else there, and I prayed the prayers that I knew how to pray. I didn't pray perfect prayers. In fact, I prayed prayers that showed a deep misunderstanding of God, a deep misunderstanding of life, and an extraordinary deep misunderstanding of love. But in those prayers, prayers of a simple, doubting, broken young man, an infinitely complex, loving, and perfect God met me in those imperfect prayers. 
and he overwhelmed me with one simple truth. I love you. In the 15 to 20 minutes that followed, those very, I'm not going to say messed up, but definitely misinformed prayers, my life uh, and its trajectory were changed forever uh, by that simple message, I love you. Uh, I love you. And, and that idea would be so unrelentingly and unshakably a part of my life and my story for almost 15 years now. Um, in fact, I would devote the next 13 years up until this day as I stand in front of you right now trying to desperately understand, enjoy uh, that truth and just love him back. That has been all my life has truly been dedicated to for almost 15 years. I don't know exactly what happened in that prayer. I'm not telling you I know. I know that I went in there extremely broken, addicted to things, hurting, empty, and 15 to 20 minutes of absolute snot bubbles later, uh, I was dramatically different. Again, I've been trying to understand it. Uh, it's one of my pursuits in my life. Uh, but I could understand from that experience why the early church, among the things that it felt absolutely compelled to commit itself to, right, when it was like, what do we need to do to, 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 in response to this good news? What do we need to commit ourselves to? Because of that one experience, let alone any other experience I've had, I can deeply understand why one of them would be this powerful and crazy thing called prayer. Why not build your life around that? So today we're continuing our sermon series entitled Ecclesia or Ecclesia, where we're observing and learning from the early church in Acts 2. And today we're seeing and learning from how they were committed to uh, and really shaped by prayer. And right from the jump, I want to go ahead and make this very clear. This is not going to answer all of our questions about prayer. I can't do that. That's prob this probably isn't even a format to do that in, to be quite honest with you. That probably is more like a Q&R type of thing. But what I do desire to do is three things. I want to give us a biblical vision for prayer. I want to uh, address some of the struggles we have with prayer. And then from there, I want to give us just some practical advice uh, regarding how to pray and, and how we can grow and move forward in it. Now, uh, we won't stay here long, but what I want to do at the beginning is I want to go ahead and read Acts 2, 40 through, through 42 through 47, which is kind of what the series is based on. Uh, and I want to read it out loud. I want to read it with you. And so if you would, uh, to appease me and to just show reverence for this book that a lot of us hold a lot of value in, if you would stand as we read this together today, uh, and then at the end, I'm going to give you a, a this is the Lord, and, and you're going to give me back uh, thanks be to God. And so Acts 2, 42 through 47 in the CSB version says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being done among, uh, performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those uh, who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, feel free to be seated. Now, um, 
As we've talked about over the last several weeks, the beginning moments of the church were powerful. There was this whirlwind of power in the upper room where the Holy Spirit settles in and really starts to show and display the power of God through the apostles. Thousands of people come to faith, and instantaneously, there's this desire to organize, to, to structure, all right, organizationally in terms of like practically, and then really to structure spiritually. And so what happens, right? They, they begin to practically implement structures in their schedules. They meet together in homes. They spend time together in the temple. Daily, they're seeing each other. But spiritually, right, they, they, they listen or talk about the apostles' teaching. They take part in communion. Uh, but every meeting, in some way, they stop and they address someone else that the naked eye can't see. Every meeting, they speak to God. They speak to him directly. They speak to him in prepared words, and they speak to him in spontaneous words. They speak to him together, corporately. They speak to him individually. In short, they pray every single meeting. We understand from just that first verse, they commit themselves to these four things. Um, the apostles' teaching, the gathering, um, fellow, uh, the communion, the Lord's communion, breaking bread, and then prayer. We know that they would have stopped and prayed at every meeting. But what is that? What is prayer? What is it? Well, last year we did a sermon series on prayer, and we had a simple definition there. Does anybody remember it? Don't do it. Does anybody remember it? You remember, you remember that simple definition? You can say it, just don't do the one that I know you're thinking of saying. That's a really good guess. Uh, anybody else? Joe, go ahead. Intentional communication with God. If you want to know why there's this awkward conversation between me and Joe happening in front of y'all right now, feel free to ask, but we can't talk about it right now. Um, intentional communication with God. And while I believe that's accurate, I understand how simple it is. I understand the simplicity of it is often the root of many of our struggles with prayer. Just talk to God? Yes. And you're saying that when I talk to him, he will move in my life? Yes. Maybe not the way you think, but yes. And then instantaneously, our response is often, okay, but that's not been my experience, has it? Feel like that's not been what, what I've enjoyed or what I've taken from prayer. And so we look at the prayers in the Bible and experiences of prayer in other people's lives with a deep sense of skepticism. A verse that often catches a lot of skepticism when we talk about prayer is the verse that we're going to really look at to, to help inform prayer in us a little bit today, and it's Philippians 4, 5 through 7. Uh, you don't got to stand for this one, but I do want to read it for you. In Philippians 4, it says, Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For many of us walking through the struggles and burdens of the modern world, this verse practically reads like a poorly written self-help book. Right, let's be real. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried about anything. Anything. What about my job? What about work? What about school? What about my social status? What about my looks? What about my weight? What about my spouse? What about my kids? What about my housing? What about my health? What about my, my romantic life or my, my social life? Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. How am I supposed to do that? Instead, though, the verse continues, pray with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Pray, talk to God, and be filled with thankfulness while you do it. Thankfulness. 
Thankfulness for what? For financial stress, my broken relationships, troubles at work, my frustrating childhood, my angry spouse, my romantic life, or lack thereof, my struggles at school, my struggles at home. What am I supposed to be thankful for? Yeah, be thankful. And lastly, maybe the crowning jewel in it, be vulnerable with God. Be vulnerable. Are you sure? Because vulnerability for me might feel a little bit more like venting than it does vulnerability, if I'm being honest. Might feel a little bit more like frustrated venting than it does this calm vulnerability. Or maybe for you, you're saying vulnerable. So now all the things I hate about my life, that I hate about myself, now I have to just deal with all of them and put them out there to someone else, that someone else being God. Or perhaps that someone else being other people at church. Let me be honest with you. If this is, uh, well, let me start here. It's easy to read this this way, right? There's three things going on here, anxiety, thankfulness, and vulnerability, and they seem to be deeply connected to the idea of prayer in this verse. They seem to be the point of prayer if that's how we're reading it. And if that's how we're reading it, then I understand uh, why and how this verse might discourage you and how this verse may leave you saying, like we said before, that's not my experience, I don't pray and all of a sudden am relieved of anxiety, filled with thankfulness, and free to be vulnerable. But what if relief from anxiety isn't the point of this? What if thankfulness isn't the point of it? Or what if even vulnerability is not the point of this text? What do you mean? Well, I want you to look back at verse 5. I think in verse 5 there's a really important, important note that we have to take when it comes to prayer. And in verse 5, it says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. And then right there, it says, the Lord is what? Near. Biblical interpreters here almost unanimously unanimously agree that this isn't some type of throwaway statement. (laughs) It's not the biblical writers kind of doing what we do and throw platitudes out there like, God's with you. I'll pray for you. Knowing dang well, you ain't finna pray for nobody. It's not that type of platitude. Rather, it's preparation for everything that comes after it. God is near. So go to him. God is near. So go to him. He wants to hear from you. With anxiety, yes. With thankfulness, yes. With honesty and vulnerability, yes. Friends, rather than transactions, prayer here is presence. Prayer is presence. It's about a God who desires and is seeking to create and mold and shape and develop and cultivate a relationship with you. Prayer is the time that is set aside to be with and engage with God, the God who loves us, the God we do or at least hope to love. That's what prayer is. That's the heart of prayer. So often, though, we treat prayer more like the self-checkout line at HEB, right? We enter into HEB with all of our burdens, with all of our anger, with, with, with all of our stress, with our burdens, with our circumstances, and we navigate through the aisles going, a little relief from stress? I think I'm going to have me some of that, right? Uh, oh, man, a, a new job? I don't mind if I do. Okay, a new car? I'd like some of that. That's kind of expensive. Never mind. I don't want that. And we just continue to navigate, and then we go up to the self-checkout line. No one else needed, just me and the self-checkout line. And I scan everything, and I swipe my card. My card is prayer. And then when it doesn't work, I get angry. I look at the card machine and go, you're malfunctioning, not me. It's you that's malfunctioning. 
We get frustrated and look at God as though he's the one that's malfunctioning like a broken card reader. When in reality, what we're doing in prayer is visiting a close friend. We're sitting on a couch. We're sitting in someone's living room. We're sharing our life with them. We're talking with them. We're being with them. We're enjoying them. We're having moments of frustration with them. We're spending time with another person the way we would in any other relationship. And maybe your visit is marked by good news at work or at home or in your life. And so there's a joyful moment while you're with that person. And maybe it's marked by some discouragement. And maybe your visit is falling into your friend's arms in tears, not knowing where to go or what to do in your life. That's prayer. Just instead of a friend in a living room, it's an infinitely complex, perfect, loving God. And there is absolutely no one else that he wants to be with but simple, often broken, doubting you, me. What if we treated any other relationship like that? What if we treated absolutely any other relationship in that way? What if every time you spoke to a friend, brought a burden, you demanded that they do everything to make that completely right? And every time they didn't, you walked away going, man, you're worthless. Is any other relationship in our our life like that? Being honest, parents here low-key are like, no, I'm feeling that a little bit, to be quite honest. I know that feeling. Yet a lot like my own love for my children, God would meet you there over and over and over and over again. He's there now, waiting for you, because five minutes of demands and disappointments is still five minutes with the one that the infinitely complex loves infinitely, you and me. That's what he longs for, and so no matter what, he meets us there over and over again. Whether we treat it as a beautiful moment with a friend, whether we treat it like an H-E-B self-checkout line, He's there over and over and over again. Prayer is presence, friend, but the reward of prayer, the reward of prayer is love. The reward of prayer is the knowledge that the infinitely complex, perfect, assured, loving God loves me infinitely, perfectly, and assuredly. And from there, the thing is, I may feel less stressed. I may feel gratitude and thankfulness. I may even feel free to be vulnerable, but those aren't the reward. Love is the reward. The other things are just fruits from what we get in the reward. They're fruits of love. Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. John says you're free to come and repent and to be honest and vulnerable about where you are, about your sin about your failures. That's love. That comes from love. Prayer is not the H-E-B self-checkout line. Prayer is presence. It's being with God. It's sharing time with him. It's loving him and being loved by him. Like my wife and I trying to sneak away last weekend to be in each other's presence and just be reminded how much we love each other. Right? Prayer is presence, and the reward of prayer is love. Now, as an example, uh, I, this week started, or maybe late last week, once it started cooling off, kind of started what I can only describe as 
a kind of seasonal depression that I struggle with. And so this week, I'll be very honest with y'all, I have cried more than I have all year. There were multiple times that I've just sat in my car and I have just uh, looked up and for no apparent reason whatsoever have just started bawling. One ball right now. Um, and it's been hard. It happens every year. My wife knows about it. She kind of, even late last week, was like, are you okay? You're kind of quiet. And I was like, I'm all right. And then, like on Monday, I think I was like watering plants in my backyard, and I was just like, Whoa. and then I was like, okay, no, maybe I'm not okay. <laughs> there were so many moments in that where I wish I could have been like, God, just make this go away. I've been dealing with it probably since I was a late teenager. That's more than 10 years, 33, and it's still here. I, I don't know. I, there's some work that I could do, I think, to, to help understand it and, and get better. I, I also don't know if doing that would make it go away. I recognize that I, there's a very real possibility I could be 55, 60, 70 years old, and when I grab a light jacket, be filled with sadness every year. Now, this is what it is. Um, but in those moments, if I would have looked at God to say, how come you can't just relieve this? I've swiped the prayer card. It's supposed to be like the black card, right? Old school. Some of y'all don't know about the black card. Should have worked for everything. I would have missed the incredibly joyful moments of my sadness being met with his presence. And my feelings of despair being met by his incredible comfort. And that comfort wasn't all the feelings going away. It wasn't. I still have had him this morning. But his comfort was that he was there with me in it. That the infinite, the complex, the perfect would enter into the desperate, the sad, the anxious, and the burdened just to be with me. I love you. It's why I have spent the last 13 years trying to figure out what happened in that small church 13 years ago. What an incredible gift I have in the ability to turn to that incredible God and to just say, God, and he would turn his ear to me and listen intently, passionately, lovingly. It's incredible. It's crazy. The comfort that I needed wasn't the absence of my distress, but in that moment, the comfort I needed was my God with me. It's what I needed. And man, praise God if I can ever get the absence of distress. I'll be more than happy. But until that day comes, my God with me, I will run to him over and over again. Like I have for almost 15 years now. Now, that's beautiful. That's great. I hope it's beautiful. I hope it's great. But let's be honest, that's still a struggle for a lot of us. That's still an incredible struggle, much less being a place where God, through presence and love, relieves anxiety. For many of us, prayer is still the source of a lot of anxiety, and as a result, a lot of disappointment. Why is that? Why is prayer such a struggle? And there are a lot of reasons. There are as many reasons there are people in this room right now, but I do want to touch on three and hope that we can 
we can apply it as broadly as possible. The first is just being honest, we're distracted. Our culture is an extraordinarily distracted culture. A while back, I heard either on a podcast or in a conversation, I don't know, remember where, I don't know where, I don't remember where, but someone said, man, in our culture, it feels like busyness is a virtue. Busyness is a virtue. It feels like it is the one thing you can use that we are so beholden to busyness, and it is so important to everyone and everything around us that it can be the trump card to absolutely everything. It is the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. As a pastor, I see this a lot. I talk to y'all, I talk to, to others, and the, the amount of times, it, it seems like in every conversation that I have, the amount of people that say, oh, life's just crazy. Oh, I'm just super busy. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm real, you know, I'm really involved in this, I'm really busy, but man, I want to do this. It is incredible. I can oftentimes feel like busyness is such a virtue that in our own mind and in our own heart, culturally informed by everything and everyone around us, saying everything we're doing and everything you're doing is so important that it trumps every other responsibility we have, every other relationship we have. I have the relationship I have to my spouse, my parents, my family, my friends, my church, my children, every single thing, as long as I can simply say, but I'm busy. It's okay. That's how it oftentimes feels. And that applies to what we do with God, right? We just say, man, I'm busy. I'm so incredibly busy. And God, you understand, right? And so we're busy. On a very practical level, we're distracted. But for some of us, right, the issue is much more introspective. It's not just the practical idea of busyness. It's the fear of being disingenuous, right? You approach prayer and you know, like, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I feel like every time I pray, my mind just races. And so while there are others who are busy and, and distracted, I, I fear being disingenuous. When I feel like I read pre-prepared prayers, I feel like I don't even feel them. But I feel like when I start talking on my own, all of a sudden I feel so much less connected because I'm distracted and thinking about everything else that I don't mean anything. Am I praying selfishly? Am I praying generously? Am I praying for others? Am I praying for myself? I don't know. Do I even believe in the God that I'm praying in? I have no idea why would I pray if I don't feel like I believe in the God that I'm praying in. And rather than being honest, rather than being honest in prayer, our fear of disingenuousness just makes us go, I'd rather not pray at all. I'd rather be real and not pray than disingenuous and pray. It was just fear of being disingenuous. And for some of us, it's much more existential, right? <laughs> we fear the unknown, right? We fear that great, incredible, scary place in prayer where we are confronted with the reality that on the other side of this prayer, as I mentioned earlier, is either an infinite, beautiful, loving, compassionate God, or there's absolutely nothing or I am yelling, screaming, begging into a void of black where my voice and my words will never meet an end, and that's life. That's terrifying. But for some of us, we'd rather not deal with it at all. We just say, oh, I just won't pray. Or if I pray, I'm just going to like kind of speed through it, say what I need to say, and get out. It's my routine. But the actual act of connecting with God, that's a little scary because it puts me in front of those questions, it puts me in front of that reality. Is there nothing or is there him? I don't know. So what do you do with those struggles? Those are the only ones I'm going to highlight. There's like 87 more that I thought of, but I'm not, by 87, I mean like three. But what do we do with those? Well, I think uh, Psalm 46, and that's a verse, that's a, a, a chapter where our church name comes from. Refuge offers us an incredible encouragement 
for where to begin uh, in prayer and approaching those struggles. Um, in verse 10, uh, this is a psalm of the sons of Korah, and if you don't know what that means in your Bible, um, just bookmark it. All that was was the group of people that, Daniel, uh, that David got together to pray with him in the temple. So this is just a group of folks praying in the temple together with David. And in uh, verse 10, uh, he says in the CSB version, this is super weird, I got to say, stop fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations and exalted on the earth. Now, let's be honest. If you some church folks, you're like, that sounds super weird. But in the ESV version, which is what we're going to have on the board, you're going to be like, oh, I know that one. Uh, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And all of a sudden, right from the jump, I think this is a beautiful invitation to prayer. I mean, it comes from them praying. And they automatically know, even in their day, where they didn't have the modern burdens and the modern struggles, they knew, I've got to be still. My mind is racing. It also makes a little bit of sense. The ruler of a nation was in that group. I think I'm so important by being so busy. This guy was making decisions on who was going to live and who was going to die, and I'm worried about the almighty dollar. So he's actually busy, and they recognize we got to be still. Got to know that he's God. Just being still, though, is just challenging enough. And I think there's a reason be still comes before know that I'm God. Because the constant urge of busyness will constantly help you forget that he is God. It will put something else in front of you. It will put something else most important. It will say something is scarier. It will say something is more powerful. Because in your experience, in your life, when the busyness and the doing and the everything is so incredibly in front of you, that's all you can see. You don't see anything else. And so David and his boys, their first thought is, be still. Calm down. Don't leave anything aside. Because again, I don't think you're supposed to, we talk about this a lot, and shout out to Chandler for reiterating it today. We don't believe church is where you leave something at the door and come in and just focus on God. Church is where you bring all of who you are and you, it meets God here, right? That's the incredible beauty of church. But they, they are, in essence, saying, in the midst of the busyness, right, actually give yourself space to focus on God. Give yourself space to get a vision of him. Like, give yourself space to think about his character and his love and his compassion. Give yourself that space. If you don't, it won't come on its own. You will fill your mind with every other thing. But give yourself space. I read in a book this past week that uh, still in Latin is vacate, which is where we get the word vacation in English. That the idea of being still is quite literally the idea of stepping away and getting away like on a little vacation with God. Similar to what I mentioned when last week me and my wife attempted, it was very much an attempt, y'all, uh, attempted to get away and to spend some time together. Like that's the vision of prayer. In the world around you with all of the burdens and everything that's going on, and we know that it's there, you can't escape it. Set aside time to go be with him. Don't leave them aside. Take that with you, but go be with him. Right? And then from there, the being still gives way to the know that I'm God. Know that the infinite, the complex, the perfect, right, the powerful, the loving, that he is who he is, and that he's with you, that he loves you, that he sees you, and he cares for you. Maybe that means reading the Bible 
Maybe, I'm, and y'all know me, y'all know how I can be, maybe it means just like shutting up and being like, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. We have a, a, a spirit that comes from God and he like, can actually draw us close to the Lord and he works in our hearts. And so maybe it's, maybe it's just being quiet and, and acknowledging God's presence and allowing the truth that you know here to become the truth that you know here, but you're so busy that the truth you know here is getting filtered out through a bunch of stuff, through a bunch of things, through a bunch of responsibilities, through a bunch of stuff that you feel you have to do because it's so important. But the moment you're still for just a minute, the moment you go on a little vacation and your mind clears just a little bit, the things that are here start having the ability to trickle down and get here. And all of a sudden being still gives way to knowing he's God. And maybe that is a place where we can feel a little less anxiety. Maybe that is a place where I feel gratitude. Not every time, but man, sometimes. And so, prayer is presence. The reward of prayer is love. And a great starting place to that is to simply be still to know that he's God. Okay. How do we do that? All right. How do we do that? I don't have a secret for you in any shape, form, or fashion. But uh, I, comp- I didn't write down his name because I forgot it. But it's like a Sham Dom. He's some dude that wrote something, and his name is super weird. But the, the main thing that he wrote that I want to give to you is that he wrote really simple words, four simple words, pray as you can. Pray as you can. What does that mean? It means the best place to start with practicing this idea of prayer by by prayer being presence and the reward of prayer being love and to start being still and knowing that he is God is to simply pray as you can. If you can't pray for 30 minutes, start with five. Start with two. You can pray for an hour. God bless you. Great. Do that. But pray as you can. If, if you can't pray because you're so distracted, then go for a walk. Pray on a walk. Pray on a bike ride. Pray with a group of friends. Pray how you can. But that applies to the other stuff too. If you can't pray full of faith, then pray with doubt. If you can't pray with hope, then pray hopeless. If you can't pray with assurance that he's listening, pray with a lack of assurance that he's listening. Just pray as you can. Because again, what actually is prayer is simply the presence of God that we're interacting with. There's not a formula and a right way. The very fact that prayer is intentional communication with God means that in the Bible, when people go and say, your name is exalted, we love you, you're amazing, praise you. And when people go and say, where are you? When will you stop rewarding the evil and punishing the righteous? And when people in their darkest moments come and go, God, can you please do me a solid? Can you kill their children? Can you kill all their kids? It would just really make me feel better if you killed all of them. Those prayers are in the Bible. I'm not telling you prayers that came from my heart, though I've had some moments in my day, but I'm I'm simply telling you that the Bible writers... The very people we aspire to and look to and say these are the the examples of our faith. We're praying prayers like, please kill people's kids. 
Where are you? You're not just. When will you be who you say you are? Why? Because they weren't trying to pray perfectly. They were praying as they could. They were praying as they can. And there are moments in your life and moments in my life where all we can do is simply say, you know what, I have five minutes of bitter, resentment-filled doubt, but that's all I have to give, and that's all you are going to get from me. And the beautiful thing about the God that we pray to is that if it's five minutes of bitterness, anger, doubt, uh, disappointment, frustration, regret, just anger, just boiling over, looking at him and going, where are you? Who are you? He would be there over and over and over again because he's chosen you and he'll choose you over and over and over again because he loves you and he'll love you over and over and over again. And his presence was never built on what you did. His presence was always built on his deep love for you. So bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. Pray as you can because the God of the universe, the infinitely complex, powerful, beautiful, joyful, loving, is just simply waiting to hear from you. The apple of his eye, you, me. That's all, that's all we're doing. So pray like you can. Pray as you can. Do it for as long as you can. Do it for as, 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 with as much hope as you can. If that's nothing, it's nothing. That's okay. Pray as you can. Because there's not a formula on how to do it right. There's simply a God that desires to be with you. That gave his son to be reconciled to you. So that through the beauty of the man on the cross, we will be brought together with the God who made us and loves us. And just like the story at the beginning is God in perfect unity and in perfect relationship with his people, the story at the end is not, and they all learned how to pray right. They all had the exact amount right of hope. They all had the exact, around, uh, the exact right amount of joy. But I'm their God. And they're my people. That the point of the whole book was never how righteous you could be, but how righteous and faithful he is to say, you're mine. And I will go through hell, literal, to get you back. That's the God on the other side of your prayer. Who we believe God to be is most accurately not seen in any creed, but is seen in how we talk to him when no one else is around. My prayer today is that we would spend some time connecting with God and that from that connection, you would have an incredible vision of God's love and care and just affection and just this overwhelming passion for you. That the reward of the moments you spend in prayer today and at home would be an overwhelming understanding of how God overwhelmingly loves you. And that it would settle your heart in moments of anxiety, that it would fill you with gratitude. And if it doesn't, that you would keep praying as you can. That you would show up. That you would do what you can. That you would pray to him. When you don't feel like it, when you have nothing to give, because that's not a wrong prayer. The Bible's filled with those. That's our, my only hope here. And that through that, I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident that like I spend time with many of you just getting together and hanging out and hearing you and knowing you and just being intimate together, that your relationship with him will cultivate. It will develop, it will build, and it'll be beautiful. It won't be marked with, with absolute perfection because he's a person and you're a person. So there's gonna be moments of like disappointment and frustration. There's gonna be moments where you walk away from that quiet time and you're like, I felt nothing. And it's like, well, God was still there. 
God was still there. Just like I've spent time with some of y'all and walked away and been like, I feel exactly the same. You were still there. So was I. And so that's my hope today. That's all I got. Let me see what I did on time. Horribly. Um, so with that, what we're going to do is I want to spend some time praying before we move on to anything else. Uh, I want you to spend time praying individually. I know we're going to do communion in groups together, and so we can do the community part after that. I want you to go to God individually right now. Um, and worship folks, don't worry about coming up. I want you to pray too. Uh, and so, yeah, let's, let's start there. Like this, we're going to take some time. I just want you to follow kind of some of the habits we've done historically. Like we've done the Lord's Prayer. If you want to pray out the Lord's Prayer, that's great. Do that. Um, if you want to simply just kind of riff with God, do that. Before you start, the only thing I'll encourage you to do is just want you to be still. We're going to implement what we just talked about. Just be still. Again, envision God. Go to him. And then from there, pray how you can over the next, let's say, five minutes. Pray how you can. And then we'll come back up and we'll take communion together. Father, thank you for just the beautiful <clears throat> invitation we have to know that you are near. And that we, no matter who we are or where we failed, how things are high, the lows that we're going through, you have not gone anywhere. But you were here. That we can join Paul in saying, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God as in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Father. Help each one of us to even just know the truth that you, the Almighty, are with us here. Whether we're bringing joy and hope, or whether we're bringing discouragement and hopelessness, that you are here to meet us and to be with us either way. And we're invited to approach you and to bring who we are to you because you love us, because we, nothing can separate us from the love that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. For each one of us that has a moment where we forget that, help guide our eyes to this crucified Lord who died on our behalf. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.